Welcome to Common Thread. We hope you find these lessons helpful, but also we'd like to get to know you. If you go to our website slash newcomer, we'll send you an email, some things to read about the community, and an invitation to a personal chat. If you're here in Raleigh, maybe face-to-face. If not, on Zoom. We hope you will. CommonThreadChurch.org slash newcomer. Okay, here's the lesson. So this is our new lesson, uh, Are We Christian? <coughs> and I am sure you are not unaware that the very word Christian is problematic for a lot of people. It has become associated with, and unfortunately for good reason, sexual predators and cover-ups. It's become associated with financial shenanigans. It's become associated with suppressing women's voices and with devaluing science. It's become associated with meanness toward gay people and toward women people and toward other political party people and toward abortion people and immigrant people and stem cell research people. But the worst, I think, is that it's become associated with a lack of integrity. Integrity meaning oneness. In other words, saying one thing, love, grace, acceptance, even purity, but living something very, very different. So it's been a come, become associated with duplicity, with a lack of integrity. One of the questions that you put up on Menti in the last few weeks when I was asking you for them is, why do Christians use their religion to uh, justify cruelty? And uh, that that question even exists is telling. So yeah, it's a problem word. And when we ask the question, are we, on the one hand, last week, if we are not defined by a list of approved beliefs, are we? Are we Christian? And on the other hand, if that word has come to mean all that ugly stuff, are we? Are we Christian? So you can understand why I get asked all the time, uh, why? Why don't we just leave this cumbersome, troublesome word behind? If doctrines if doctrines are not a line in the sand for us, and if authentic virtue is, let's just leave the word behind. People often tell me, Doug, I love our community, but I do not want to tell my friends that I go to church. <laughs> and I get that, I understand that. So why do we keep the word? Why not leave the word behind? Well, to help us think about that, let's revisit something I said last week. A tradition becomes a tradition because there is something in it that makes it last. There is something embedded in a tradition that has allowed it to last long enough that it actually becomes a tradition. And that, I think, will point us to why we might want to keep the word. Given how badly the Christian church has lost its way, I get how people think there can be no merit in the tradition. But that's just because most people don't know history. When we look back, we can find what it is inside of our tradition that has helped it to stand the test of time. If we look back in our heritage, we can find what it is that it has helped us find our way again and again and again and again, and every time we've lost it. 
So today we're going to look into what it is that makes a tradition last and lo and behold we're going to stumble onto almost unintentionally the question that I posed in the email uh, almost as an unintended consequence of the lessons. Come on Doug, for sure Buddhists are going to hell, right? <laughs> so we'll be talking about that in a moment. All right, these are the questions that we're going to be talking about after to give you a little bit of time to be thinking as the lesson's going on, be formulating. You're going to hear today about a professor of theology and ethics who researched the stages human beings go through on the spiritual journey. So what I'd like you to do is think about those stages as you hear them and then tell about your experience of one of those stages. Was your experience positive or was it negative? And did be being in a community, did it inform the process as you were going through it? As you were going through the stage process, did being with other people in it make a difference? So you can be thinking about that as the lesson goes on. Okay, let's start with this guy. His name's James Fowler. Uh, his book is called Stages of Faith. It was written in 81. Uh, it, became, it was an academic book initially, but it kind of got popular following, so it was republished in 95. You can probably get the 95 one. I think it's still in print. Uh, he didn't just study Christians. He studied all religions. He studied really any faith tradition that had stood the test of time. Any tradition that had been around long enough to uh, have embedded in it the things that make it a tradition, he studied those traditions. So you do not have to read the whole book, but if you just Google uh, James Fowler and Stages of the Faith, you're going to be able to get the basic concept, the basic ideas, and it is really a helpful framework, a helpful understanding. It's a stage theory. Uh, if you remember in your, one of your first psychology classes, you probably had to study Piaget, who talks about the stages of uh, cognitive development, or Kohlberg, who talked about the stages of moral development. What's moral for a three-year-old is different than what's moral for a seven-year-old or for a 30-year-old or for a, an, an adult. So, <clears throat> like those stage theories, this talks about what are the stages human beings go through when they're on a spiritual journey, on a faith journey, uh, stages of faith. But here's the upshot of what his research uh, taught us. Traditions, with their hammered out over centuries and centuries wisdom, and their hammered out over centuries and centuries practices, they know how to carry human beings on a journey from to. They know how to help people get into a process that will take them to a place. Now that C, that's for the word Christian. We get on the Christian track, often when we're children. Maybe we go to church, we learn the ropes, we do the religion, we practice the religion. We do the things that the religion tells us to do. And over time, the features that are embedded in the tradition will carry us through this process, and they will carry us to a place. And what Fowler does is he describes that journey. He describes the stages on that faith journey. So we go through that process, we go to that place, Fowler says, in six distinct stages. When we are young and our brains are concrete, 
we are at a very literal stage and our spiritual journey is at a very literal stage. It's all very concrete. Sometimes feels a little bit magical to children. We suspend critical judgment because our brains don't do that yet. We accept the stories uh, at face value. The tradition teaches us what the stories are and then teaches us ways that we are to act. And what we do is we believe the stories and we do the things that we are told to do. And our brains at that stage do take things quite literally and do things purely by rote. So in the early stages, we primarily imagine the divine as a parental figure, rewarding good behavior, punishing bad behavior, keeping us safe, dispensing justice and fairness the way that mom does, the way that dad does. Now again, quite literal at that early stage on the journey. Then we move into our teen years, and fitting in becomes very important. Belonging becomes very important. And so we want a group at that stage in our lives that is larger than our family group. And we want a place where we can belong. So we begin to look for that in the religious group. And the way that we do that is we find out who's in charge. We find out who the authority figure is, whether it's the youth leader, usually, or the preacher, or the bishop, or the elders, or even the book. And then we learn what the tradition is, and we learn what the tradition does, so that we know how to fit in. Motivated to belong, we ask what the tribe believes, and then we believe that. We ask what the tribe does, and then we do that. Now the next stage, let's skip for a moment. I put it in a red box right there, and let's talk about what's on the other side of that red box, the last two stages that usually unfold as we move into midlife. We begin to internalize and begin to feel it in our bones that our tradition stories are symbolic representations of a deeper truth. We begin to feel that their importance to us comes as a meaning-making metaphor. We begin to realize that our stories aren't newspaper accounts of events that happened, but they are really pointers in a direction that tells us where we are going in our lives. In my own life, just as I was emerging out of the red box that we'll talk about in a moment, I read something by C.S. Lewis that uh, deeply resonated with me. He said, myth is not less true even if it's not factually true. Myth is actually more true because myth is wrapped in generation after generation of interpretation, generation after generation of meaning-making, generation after generation of storytelling, generation after generation of interpreting the lives we live. So in these later stages of the spiritual journey, the that concept, that framing approach to life begins to seep into our bones and our experience, and we see the rich value that our stories have for us that are deeper than the literal understanding we had of the stories when we were young. Now, there are several themes that are embedded into those deeper understandings of the stories, and here's one of them comes up again and again uh, when we discover the power of our stories to speak to our deeper understanding. And it's a theme that we repeat here at the church all the time. Oneness is a better description of reality than two-ness. When we move into the framing construct that says these are interpretive, interpreted 
narratives that point us in a direction. One of the things that we realize again and again is that oneness is a better description of reality than two-ness. We begin to internalize that our tradition and our stories are bigger than me or us or even bigger than our tribe. These stories, these truths, they have universal application. They're not just for this sect. They're for everybody. Now, we didn't know it earlier in the journey, but all along our stories have been pointing us toward the interconnectedness of everything and everybody. It's a theme of them and us. Justice for us and also justice for them. Love for us and also love for them. Inclusion for us, but also inclusion for them. We get to this part of the journey and we can't look at our faith tradition without realizing how it applies not just to our sect. When people start functioning on this part of the journey, we use words to talk about them. Words like maturity or words like elder or words like heretic. Because that's very troubling when we start to realize that this is bigger than our commitment to the group, to the tribe. When we look at those people, we often talk about wisdom, or we talk about selflessness, or we talk about shining lights. Now here's the thing that Fowler tells us. The Christian tradition has embedded in it a well-worn pathway that carries people through each of these stages. Follow the tradition and we will become elders. Follow the tradition and we will become shining lights, mature and selfless. But hold on a second, you say, <laughs> because you know as well as I do that there are a whole bunch of folks who have been following the tradition all along and who are not becoming selfless love, who are not becoming elder kind of people. So now let's go back to the red box. Let's go back to what is called Fowler's fourth stage. Now this is a very difficult stage. People in this stage often feel overwhelmed because they feel like they are losing their faith. They are often grappling with and struggling with deep doubts, with a deep sense of loss because there's, there was this tradition that they were steeped in and it just is slipping through their fingers. Try as they might, they can't hold on to it. So sometimes this stage comes with anger and sometimes it comes with depression. It definitely comes with a sense of being alienated from where we were. In stage four, everything that we learned in the concrete stages of our faith stops working for us. And worse than not working for us, it starts to feel constraining. It starts to feel, feel limiting. And sometimes it starts to feel silly. And even though we try to hold on to it because believing those beliefs and behaving those ways, that's how we belong to the tribe and we want to belong to the tribe, we try, but we can't. So it doesn't just feel like we're losing our religion, it feels like we're losing our tribe. 
So that's why it's not uncommon to feel the grief and to feel the loss and to feel the anger and to feel the recrimination. That's why it's not uncommon to shake our fists at God and to shake our fists at the church. It's a rough, tough stage of the spiritual journey. Now these days, you can hear that stage of the journey a lot because people who are at that stage are writing books that are stupid religion books. People who are at that stage of the journey are hosting podcasts that are stupid religion podcasts. And some are angry and some are sad. And that is to be celebrated. That's part of this journey. And the problem isn't with those people. The problem is with an American Christianity that hasn't told folks that stage four was coming hasn't defined for people what stage four is. We haven't told each other why we go through it. We haven't told each other how we're gonna survive it and get through it. And we haven't told people that it is an essential part if we want to become elders, if we want to move into that selfless state, this is essential. In fact, we do just the opposite. We, we intimate, if we don't say it directly, we intimate that when people are going through that stage, there's something wrong with them. That they're backsliding, that they're losing their faith, that they no longer belong, that they shouldn't really be here. So, <laughs> we kick them out of denominations. We do that. <laughs> what we don't tell people is that the pain of stage four is the pain of death. In a very real way, it's the pain of death. It is death to the religion of their childhood. It is death to the religion of the concrete stage, the compliance stage, the part of the tribe stage of the journey. Here's what we don't tell them, and we put it on our wall so you don't miss it. Unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it can only be a single seed. But if it dies, it will bear much fruit. We don't tell people that there is light and life on the other side of the death of these early stages. We actually tell them just the opposite. So here's what we aren't telling them. We aren't telling them that if you want to move from a second-hand version of spirituality into a first-hand version of spirituality, stage four is an essential and necessary process because that is how we move from second-hand spirituality, second-hand religion, to first-hand. Elders, shining lights, those who are in touch with the inner divine, those who are finding themselves walking in this oneness roadmap, to become those people we've got to let go of secondhand, taught to us spirituality. And we need to awaken to happens in us spirituality. The early stages are really important. I hope you're not hearing anything that would denigrate the early stages of the faith. They are foundational. They are critical. They serve like a booster rocket to get us to the place where we can actually go where we want to go. Without that, it's very difficult to move forward. The early stages are important, but we can't stay there. If we do, we will not emerge into oneness spirituality, universal spirituality, love for us and for them spirituality.
So the journey starts with lists. The journey starts with rules, all very measurable, all very concrete, and it needs to. But it takes us to mystery too big to contain. It takes us to multiple, multiple perspectives at the same time. It takes us to what Jesus taught us, that the kingdom of God is within you and within her and him and within all of us as well. Now, a primary reason that our tradition has become a tradition, a primary reason our tradition has stood the test of time is that generation after generation, it takes us there. Embedded in our stories, embedded in our practices, embedded in our narratives are elements that we need to carry us from here to there. To become love instead of doing love because someone taught us we should. To access the inner light in a very real and experiential way and to live in it. A tradition is a tradition because it takes us to the center. And our Christian tradition will take us to the center. When we find our way after we have lost it, this is what we find. It is a well-worn historical pathway from tribal spirituality, us, to universal, first-hand encounter spirituality. Now, early in our journeys, the religious institutions provide us what we need to move forward. Early in our journeys, the religious institution tells us the stories, teaches us the practices, gives us the lists of behaviors, teaches us what we believe. The institution provides safety and instruction and direction and a path for us to follow. On the other side of the red box, however, after we have become elders, when we have been transformed by this process, um, because we have become love as opposed to doing love, we are no longer compassionate or honest or courageous because it's on the list. We are those things because we have become compassion. We have become courage. We have become honesty. We have become love. When that happens, it is now our joy and it is our function and it is our purpose to go back and to support younger people on their journeys, to tell them the stories, to walk with them as they take up the practices. And that rhythm of being changed and inviting other people onto a journey, that is what religious institution does. It changes us and then it invites us to support others as they go through this process of change. So in essence, there are two ways to be Christian. There is the institutional way, and unfortunately, we are living in a time when it is not very healthy, not doing a very good job of helping us through the stages. But there is an institutional way to be Christian. There is also a, and here's a word that people don't usually like, a mystical way to be Christian. And by mystical, I simply mean the first-hand encounter way, the direct engagement with the interior light way, the first-hand, the kingdom of God within us way of being Christian. 
Now, in our own community, realizing how neglected the red box has been, realizing how neglected Fowler's fourth stage has been, we've worked really hard to affirm people and encourage people and celebrate people who are on that part of the journey. When they're in the give it all up and throw it all away journey, we say, if you are here, you belong. We say, if you can't believe anything anymore, woohoo, <laughs> good for you. If you want to shake your fist at God and the preacher guy, we say, woohoo, good for you. <laughs> We've also worked out how to point one another to where this journey takes us. Because if we do this journey right, it's taking us to becoming elders. And that elder part of the journey, that inner light, that direct encounter part, that draw from the inner divine part, we've built that into our institution. We work really hard to help one another learn the practices that will point us to the center. Which means we've built our institution around an updated set, but very quite ancient set of spiritual practices that do that, that move people through this journey toward elderhood, toward first-hand touch the divine spirituality. That's what we call working the circle. That's what that process is. It's a whole bunch of updated yet ancient spiritual practices that are embedded deeply in our tradition that move us from institutional, second-hand spirituality to kingdom of God inside of us, spirituality, elder spirituality. So we've done a lot of rethinking and a lot of reimagining and a lot of rebuilding what, how we would use these ancient practices. When we're doing self-awareness work, that's what we're doing. Our self-awareness practice is really an updated version of confession. It is a way that we do that. It's why we do the Enneagram. It's why we do life story groups. It's why we try and learn how to be authentic and honest with one another. It's why we do meditations. why we do contemplative practices. It's why we do so much focus on building community so that we do these things together. We've built our institution on a pattern that was preserved for us in some very special places when we had lost our way. We lost our way after Rome. We lost our way after Newton. We lost our way again after Darwin. I've talked about those at other times. When we've lost our way, there was a quiet group of people who were holding on to these, and they lived in our cloistered communities. It's almost like they had to be locked away from the institution in order to practice this kind of spirituality. So in our monasteries, in our convents, in the places where people gathered, they held on to an ancient set of spiritual practices that have been around since at least the second century, the desert fathers and mothers. And in an updated way, what we are doing when we are working the circle is a term you ought to Google. It's called the rule of Benedict. It's basically guidelines for monastic communities. We're trying to figure out how to do monastic spirituality for people who don't live in monasteries. How do you have a regular life, live a regular pattern of living, and do these practices because they are so transformative? That's what working the circle is. So Google that term, the rule of Benedict, sometime. You'll have to wade through some really ancient language, but it'll help you understand a basic framework. Monastic spirituality for everyday people. And it turns out what the cloistered communities were holding on to was the way that our tradition takes us along Fowler's 
stages of faith. They didn't know Fowler, <laughs> but they understood this ancient process of moving through this journey. Okay. You can see we're starting to get to, can we answer the question? We can't answer it yet, but we're getting close to, are we Christian? Now this last part is going to bother some folks. <laughs> if what I've said so far hasn't bothered you, get ready to be a little uncomfortable. If you grew up in the American church <clears throat> in our lifetimes, and this is not because of the church that you went to, it is not because of the people who were in the church that you went to, this is because of a historical moment. Most likely, your institution only told you about the journey up to the red box. These are the beliefs, believe them. These are the behaviors, behave them. Believe these things, behave these things, see you in heaven when it's done. When that stopped working for you, likely your experience was, like many people's experience, that's bad. You're probably losing your faith. You need to come back into the fold. You need to read more scripture and you need to pray more prayers. You were probably not encouraged. You were probably not affirmed. You were probably not celebrated. Your doubts were seen as bad things, not good things. Your questions and your loss and your grief, your anger and your emotion were probably seen as bad things. Stop. Consequently, not a lot of American Christians in the last several decades have moved into the elder stage of the journey. Not many have gotten past, have gotten into, or beyond the red box. Most get to the red box and then leave. Say, I guess religion's not for me. They don't understand that this is their religion. They don't understand that this is essential, important ingredient. And so they leave or they retreat back and they just do the same things again and again and again. Consequently, not a lot of American Christians have become elders. Not a lot of American Christians have emerged into the kingdom of God is in you spirituality. And consequently, not a lot of American Christians know this really important thing. When we get to this mystical center, this first-hand center, this is the part that's going to make you uncomfortable. Get ready. Oh, God. There are already some other people there. <laughs> and not all of them are Christian. <laughs> there are first-hand encounter Buddhists there. That's the B. These are Buddhists who moved through Fowler's stages and they did it inside the Buddhist tradition. They lost their second hand uh, given to them version of religion and they emerged into their first hand version of faith. And you will see the J there, that's for Jewish people. I think the term is Kabbalah when you get to the mystical center. Uh, you will find them there. And Muslims, I think the, the term for them when they get to the emergent center is Sufi, uh, first-hand Hindus. It turns out when we get to the center, we uh, have a lot more in common with each other than we have with the institutional version of our own religion. Our first-hand encounter Christians have more in common with first-hand encounter Buddhists than they have with institutional Christians. Oh my God, 
we're going straight to hell. <laughs> because in the center, we begin to recognize each other around shared experience. C.S. Lewis once wrote, uh, a man with an experience is never at the mercy of a man with an argument. <laughs> when you get to the center and you have experienced the interior light, when it becomes first-hand encounter, you recognize it in others. That's why this universalizing reality begins to happen. That's how we begin to understand that this isn't just for us. We have been taught that it was just for us because Jesus did say, I am the way and the truth and the life and no one comes to the Father but by me, which we've thought meant you better be a Christian or you're going to hell. But when we get to the center and we realize that first-hand encounter of the indwelling divine is a bigger experience than just our tradition, we notice something. We notice that the people there at the mystical center have to try and put their experience into words. And it's a bigger reality than really fits into words, so they're casting about with imperfect language. And when they are casting about looking for imperfect words, lo and behold, they tend to latch on to the same words. They tell the same stories. They begin using the same words to talk about God. And it's not the same words we used when we were in the institution. They use the same uh, words even though they come from different traditions. We use the same language to talk about sin and to talk about salvation, even though we come from different traditions. We use the same language, language which makes our own tradition a little bit uncomfortable, but that our new direct encounter friends, they really get and they understand what we're talking about. I did a lesson some years ago. Uh, the title was God as Dirt. And it was built on one of those terms. One of those at the mystical center when we're trying to talk about God, looking for words, we use a term for God called the ground of all being. And Christian mystics and Buddhist mystics alike stumbled onto the same metaphor trying to describe their awakening to God. It's like, they said, we're in the very substrate that is the divine. We're planted in it. We're drawing from it. It is the soil to which we are plant. We cannot be removed from. We draw nourishment from. We are in. We cannot be removed from. These are the ways they began to talk about God. And it turned out the Christians did that. And it turned out the Buddhists did that. And it turns out first-hand encounter stumbles their way into that. Okay, that's a bunch of context to help us begin grappling with the question. Are we? Are we Christian? Now I said that I hope in this lesson to make the case for yes. We have not made the case yet. We're not there yet. We're still just defining terms. But even defining these terms, I hope you start to see the question differently. Because what the question is asking is, are we part of an ancient heritage steeped in stories and wisdom and practices, a heritage with a proven record that first helps us find our way back when we lose our way, because we sure do lose our way all the time, but second, moves us through 
Fowler's Stages of Faith. Moves us on a journey of becoming, carries us to elderhood, draws us into the experience of the inner divine so that we become, we don't do love. We become, we don't do compassion. We become, we don't do courage and justice and goodness. Are we part of that tradition, that process? Are we Christian? I think so. I hope so. Now again, I say that not unaware that Western Christianity is in ruins. Western Christianity, we saw, is that stump last week. It's been cut down, blighted. It's being burned as we are living through this time. But we also saw that that's happened so many times before. And a shoot of new life comes out of the stump. And that is what we're talking about when we say the word Christian. That shoot of new life that has a process and a pathway and a way and stories and practices that will move us from to. There is treasure buried in the ruins of our religion. There's rebuilding to do, to be sure, there in the ruins, but we've rebuilt in the ruins before, and there is treasure there. As a community, we're working on it. One of the deep joys of my life has been working on it with you. One of the deep joys of my life has been trying to figure this thing out together with a whole bunch of people on the same journey. And so, indwelling divine, moving forward on this journey, becoming our deeper selves, our truer selves, our divine center selves, that is our prayer. Amen. Yes? I didn't put one up this week. I had enough questions. Boy, you all, I want to thank you all for all the Menti questions. I don't know that I can get to all of them. <laughs> so, uh, no, that's not what we're going to do. We're going to do that next. All right, see, so we all give online now. The donate button is at the top of our website. And when you get there, you will see lots of options. We made it about as easy as it could be. So if you are here in Raleigh, or if you're far away, we invite you to take an ownership stake in the community, remembering as we say all the time, there is good return on investment when we invest in spiritual community. We give our time, and we give our energy, we give our love, and we give our dollars, and then the community takes those resources, amplifies them, and gives them back to us in the form of a community, a context in which we flourish and thrive and grow. So again, we all donate on the website, about as easy as can be. Now in a minute, we're going to dismiss you all on the live stream. We're going to do what are you thinking here in the room, and I do hope that you'll join us there on Zoom. Please do join in. Uh, Cindy is a great host. Well, actually, all the folks who signed up are great hosts. So please do join them. It's a good way to connect with other people. It's a good way to process the le lesson, integrate it more deeply into your life. It's a good way to share the journey with other people. Now again, the Zoom link is on the front page of the website, and it's the right Zoom link. <laughs> now here's the other thing, I'm about to tell you the password. I'm assuming since you've stayed through all this time, you're not a troll. <laughs> and because I'm assuming that, get ready, here's the password. The password is the first four numbers of our street address here at the church, 1417. All right, now shh, don't tell anybody else, just you people, not the trolls, 1417. I hope you'll join in. All right, well, if you would, please put your hand on your heart, and let's remember as we go that we are, every one of us, carriers of the indwelling divine. Love and joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, they're in us. The fruit of the Spirit is in us. 
And let's look for opportunities, if you would extend your other hand to our city, to share what's already in us with the people that we live and work and go to school with, looking for opportunities to repair our world, heal our worlds. Amen. God bless you all on the live stream. You are dismissed if you're We'd love to connect with you in real life. CommonThreadChurch.org slash newcomer. And if you'd like to take an ownership stake in the well-being of the community, we all contribute online. You'll find a donate button at the top of our website. See you next time. We'd love to connect with you in real life. CommonThreadChurch.org slash newcomer. And if you